You are listening to 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, Mid-Missouri's source for in-depth news, diverse talk and music of the world. It is so much more than radio. It is your community radio on the web at kopn.org. And this is Speaking of the Arts. Good morning and welcome to Speaking of the Arts, Mid-Missouri's only in-depth weekly art show. My name is Diana Moxon and after a couple of weeks away from my seat, I am delighted to be back with you. It is Summer Pledge Drive Week here at KOPN, the most important of the three annual pledge drives we hold each year to raise money to keep KOPN broadcasting across mid-Missouri. Radio is a funny thing. It feels so free. I mean, you just turn a dial and there it is. Delicious sound. Music and voices, day and night, year round. But, like any business, there are the usual costs. Rent or mortgage, utilities. In the case of radio, lots of electricity to send the broadcast signal. Salaries for the tiny handful of people who get paid less than they deserve. Broadcasting fees, equipment upkeep, internet fees, accounting. Well, you know, it's a long list. And even though we, the programmers, along with a ton of behind-the-scenes people, volunteer our time we still need to raise money a few times a year. And that's where the people on your side of the radio come in, because although it feels so free, that's really just a trick of the light. It actually costs money. In our 50-year history, there have been lots of pioneer moments. KOPM was the first source for programmes by and about African-Americans, women, environmentalists, prisoners and other populations that could not find space in conventional media. And the people whose voices you have heard for all those years are regular citizens, your friends and neighbours, talking about local issues that they feel strongly about, or social justice or environmental concerns, and of course, the arts. And alongside the talk, there's also been a ton of music, and KOPN programmers have introduced generations of audiences to a variety of musical genres that you could not hear on other radio stations. And we plan on continuing to do all of that, with your help, of course, and the help of people like my guest today, local arts leaders who turn to KOPN to get the message out about what they are doing and who continually strive, like we do, to make Colombia a vibrant place to live. There are multiple ways you can make a donation to the station to confer your support in a way that ensures we are able to continue our mix of eclectic programming. You can donate online at kopn.org and click on the image that says Summer Pledge Drive, or you can mail a check to us at 915 East Broadway, or you can give us a ring on 573-874-874. 5676. It is super easy. It is super appreciated. And it is super duper vital to ensure that this platform for community voices gets to be around for us, our children, and our grandchildren. Well, not my grandchildren, as that would require me having had children. But I want your grandchildren to have the chance to have access 
to Community Airwaves. So let's get on with the show. My first guest this morning is a woman who seems omnipresent. Well, to me at least. She volunteers at multiple arts events. She attends a ton of arts events. She is endlessly and passionately arts curious. And she is part of the team which organizes one of the biggest events on the Columbia Arts Calendar, the True False Film Fest. She is the energetic and inimitable marketing director for the Regtech Film Society. Stacey Possinger, good morning, Stacey. <laughs> Good morning, Diana. I think you always write something new and interesting every time I talk to you and you <laughs> try and make me giggle loudly. I'm trying to be professional. <laughs> Giggling is okay. Oh. I, can, I can always take it out in the mix if I have to. But you know, I like, I like the giggles. <laughs> so it's okay. So as we are on the last day of our summer pledge drive, and the RegTech Film Society and KOPN have a very long history of supporting each other. Let me start by asking you about how you see community radio being integral to what you do with Ragtag? That is an excellent question. And then I thank you for asking me. <laughs> I <laughs> Number one, we love our relationship with KOPN. And when I think about this question, it makes me think about storytelling in general and how Ragtag Film Society between True False Film Fest and the cinema, really what's at the heart of what we're doing is storytelling. And I think that's the heart of what KOPN is doing to some degree. And so obviously our two missions collide or work well together, if you will. And all of art comes down to some form of storytelling, I believe. So I just think that uh, between the two organizations, we are community-minded at heart and bringing um, more people into our organization through KOPN or whether it's bringing more people's attention to KOPN through our organization. I think we work really well together and our both of our organizations are mission-driven and outreach to the community and community building. And those are things that are really important to to our organization. I love that idea of us both being storytellers. I think that's absolutely fantastic. I mean, we have been around and been an iconic part of the mid-Missouri media landscape for even longer than you guys have for almost 50 years. And if I try and imagine mid-Missouri without KOPN, my my heart runs cold. And I have the mm. same feeling if I think about Columbia without RegTech. You have become so integral to the vibrancy for me of this city. So for you as a citizen of mid-Missouri, not only the marketing guru for RegTech and True False, why do you choose personally to financially support KOPN? On a personal level, I think KOPN brings so much to this community. And when I listen, especially, it's kind of funny, like personally, I, I love pledge drives. I like <laughs> listening to people talk about why KOPN is important to the community. And I love hearing every time you say it's community radio, your community radio station. So that tells me I need to support it if I'm listening to it. And it uh, brings a value to my life as a citizen of Columbia and Mid-Missouri. There are things that I learned from listening to shows on KOPN that I can't get anywhere else. I love the Farm and Fiddle Hour and speaking of the arts i'm so sorry speaking <laughs> of the arts you know i love speaking of the arts. i do know I, that i have a weekly conflict with speaking of the arts but i do listen to it i love that it's uh, recorded and i can listen to it later um especially speaking of the arts is so great because then you can learn about all the art happenings that are coming up and it was from listening to speaking of the arts 
that my wife and I made a commitment one year to go see more live theater. And I know this year was, you know, kind of a bust for live theater, but the, I think it was two years ago that I listened to your year end rap show. I believe I busted in on the year end. <laughs> you did bust I'm in one year. I'm pretty sure I broke in on that show. But I was inspired. I said, we are surrounded by so much good live theater. And so we made a, a point to see some at least one thing every month. And that has really enriched our lives. And we've stuck with that. And now that things are opening back up again, um, we're going to see other, you know, other plays. We saw a bunch of stuff on Zoom this year. But there's so much happening in this community, and I think KOPN has, for a long time, has been at the heart of it. Well, that makes my heart so happy that uh, I have inspired you. <laughs> I think that Ragtech Film Society has one of the best mission statements I've ever read. It says, with cinema as a focal point, Ragtech Film Society exists to captivate and engage communities in immersive arts experiences that explore assumptions and elicit shared joy, wonder and introspection. I love that. Were you involved with writing that or did you inherit it? You know what? I inherited it. That was written at the um, just a few months before I came on board here at a, a retreat, a strategic planning retreat that the organization had um, where they refocused the mission. And I love it. We use that language everywhere. And it really helped me just to be able to better understand the organization and what it is we do and realizing that those shared experiences are really at the heart of everything that we do and that it's important. And that's why this year was so weird and so hard that, and we're missing all those shared experiences. There is no comparison to watching a film in a room full of other people and having that experience together versus watching at home on my phone in bed. It's just, it's just not the same experience. I don't laugh out loud necessarily when I'm watching at home, not as affected as deeply emotionally. And, and what's great about ragtag also is being able to talk to people afterwards and gather out an uprise at the bar or the bakery and just talk about the experience you just went through. It's, it's really great. Well, of course, the highlight of that shared joy, wonder and introspection experience of your year is the annual True False Film Fest, which you just wrapped, at which my assumptions are always explored and often <laughs> delightfully <laughs> shattered. <laughs> but this year was an unusual year for True False, with the entire festival taking place outdoors at Stevens Lake Park. So with it now in the rearview mirror, how did it go? Oh, man, it, we counted a, a huge success because <laughs> <laughs> there was no catastrophic failure. You know, we all we showed all the films we wanted to show. Even the night that we had to cancel due to high wind, we um, were able to stream to watch everything online. Uh, we had a really fun experience with Gimme Truth this year being online um, and streaming for anybody in the world who wanted to watch it, I think we probably tripled our uh, attendance for Gimme Truth. And it was still just as hilarious as it ever is at the Blue Note. And it was really fun. But yeah, we pulled off something that really hasn't been done in the film festival world, doing a hybrid outdoor, indoor, and um, teleported experience um, has not been done. We're the only film festival that got to happen in 2020 and 2021, which we feel incredibly lucky for. But yeah, pulling off an outdoor film festival is 
um, bananas. Well, you had a tricky weather weekend to contend with, constant threats of rain, wind, plus it was pretty chilly. Then it got cold. I know it was really hot (laughs) the week before. It was probably like 90 degrees setting up all the fencing. We had to fence every one of the venues. So that is a huge job for our operations team. And I think it was really hot then. And then it got really chilly. Well, I mean, you are very used to organizing events at Stevens Lake Park because you were my right hand, one of my dear right hand women at Art in the Park for many years. So, yeah. you know, you you were kind of braced for it. Did you did you feel like the whole team like was collectively braced for it? Or were you like, hey, guys, listen, I really I know what this is all about. <laughs> well, in the very beginning, I kept saying, you have no idea, guys, you have no idea. <laughs> when we especially when we talked about doing the Como Square and bringing vendors in and I said, we plan for a whole year and use a quarter of the park. So I was probably more freaked out in some ways than other people. But I was also just like stunned because I kept thinking I drive a golf cart all around during art in the park and art in the park is really a tiny fraction Mm. of that park. I had no idea really how big it was. And we used all of it. So um, I was a little nervous about getting all around the park because they weren't going to give me a golf cart, which I was like, listen, see art in the park wins. You don't know who you're talking to here. I'm, (laughs) I'm in charge of the golf carts that are in the park. So (laughs) I had to give up my golf cart duties and I had an electric bike, so that worked well for me. But yeah, it was a lot. I mean, it's a lot of planning. And I think, you know, we have just an amazing team of people on staff here that and our volunteers are amazing and incredible. Uh, We could not have done it without the people that we have here working on it and working with the health department and uh, city officials and everybody, fire, marshal, everybody. And and everybody just really stepped up and worked together. And we crossed all the hurdles that were put in front and... We pulled off a really great event. Would it be true to say that you hope you never have to do it that way again? Um, <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say <laughs> I don't think any of us wants to do it again like that. But <laughs> mostly because it's just there's so much that's out of our, out of our control um, with the weather and, and things like that. I like having control of the situation a little bit more. You must have, as you referenced a little bit, you must have got a lot of kudos from the art festival community globally, really, not just in this country, for what you did pull off. Are, are you the darlings of the art festival world now? Film, <laughs> film festival world. The I film festival world. I don't know that we're the darlings, but I do know that people look in the film fest world look to true false to be innovative and outside the box thinkers. Um, coming up with new ways to do things and being innovative and not just doing the status quo is kind of what we're known for in this industry. And that's one thing that we really set out to do differently this year. We looked at it as an opportunity to see what is working and what's maybe not working and what can we change. And it was like a clean slate in some ways and what things can we bring along to, to we'll transfer to the outdoor fest what can we do? Uh, and we, I think we've picked up a few things that we'll try and incorporate going forward. This is a team of really creative people, and that part of it is really exciting. And people got really excited about thinking of, you know, how can we do this? How can we make this work? There's never like a we can't do that feeling here. It's always how are we going to do it? 
Well, staying on the on the theme of watching films outdoors, I know many people are still a little apprehensive about sitting inside a movie theatre. And I see that you have two dates this summer for your ragtag at Logboat Brewery, otherwise known as Ragboat. And you have yeah. two screenings. Any info you can divulge on that yet? On the Ragboat screenings? Yeah. I know. <laughs> so... <laughs> I know one of them is a uh, annual tradition that we show Magic Mike XXL. Uh, we normally do that at the theater on July 4th. I did not know that until I worked here, but now I know. So that should be a fun night. And the other one is June 27th and is our final science on screen screening and that's going to be total recall which is going to be really so the science on screen series has been a really fun partnership with the alfred p sloan foundation and corner house theater which brought in a lot of support for the series but you get to show either just kind of funky or old um it's loosely based on science. I'll just say that. I'm, I'm going to say loosely. And we could pick some really interesting films. And if you go to the Science on Screen website, you can see across the country the interesting selections of films that are then paired with a speaker to bring it and tie it into science somehow. And so this one, uh, no different, will be Total Recall on June 27th. We then will have a, a speaker, uh, Sarah Hill, who is in charge or the person who created Helium, H-E-A-L-I-U-M, and Story Up Studios, which is a project I know that I don't know a whole lot about it, but I know that Sarah Hill, who used to be uh, an anchor person here at KOMU, and she started this organization that I believe works with vets and other people with mental health issues with the VR setup of some sort. And so it really ties in well with Total Recall. I mean, it's not going to be... <laughs> completely like Total Recall, uh, but it is a, it's a good tie-in with the film and talking about um, just how sh they use VR, virtual reality setups to help people work through some of their mental health issues. And I'm really excited to learn more about that program. Perfect. Well, to find out more about Ragtag's summer schedule of movies and events, visit ragtagcinema.org. And Stacey, as always, it has been a delight chatting with you. It's always so much fun. Thanks for asking me. This Sunday is opening night for the Missouri Symphony Orchestra's 2021 Hot Summer Night Season, a season that is at least partly notable for being the final one by the orchestra's outgoing music director and conductor, Maestro Kirk Trevor. It is a season of perennial favourites, plus a celebration of Columbia's 200th birthday and includes a couple of new events which recognise the classical music world's need for greater diversity. And the Missouri Symphony Orchestra's executive director, Trent Rash is here to reveal more. Welcome back, Trent. Hi, so glad to be here. So first question this week, as it is our Pledge Drive week, and I'm asking my guests to share their thoughts on what we do. Other than the obvious one of publicity, how do you see community radio helping arts organizations like the Missouri Symphony Orchestra? Yeah, I was just thinking about this today. And truly, a lot of what we do, you create a platform 
that we need and that makes us more accessible to a number of people. And, you know, I think a lot of arts organizations are truly trying to create community. So why wouldn't they turn to community radio in order to help them achieve that goal? I think that the listeners for community radio are such a broad base of people that speak to such a a wealth of different um, varieties of talents and, and interest in our communities. And, and it's really great that the arts bring people together. So I think it's a great partnership. And I'm very fortunate that we have KOPN here in Columbia. I think radio is one of those things that people think, well, it's just free because it comes over the air. And, you know, when you go and see concerts or theatre, you, you expect to pay a ticket price. So I, I, my other question is, why do you choose to personally support community radio? Yes, that's a great question. You know, I think that I choose to support it because as someone who works for an organization that also has to keep its doors open and relies on other people, I know, you know, what that's like. And I think that you're absolutely right. While radio makes so many things accessible to others, it does take money to make that happen. And so it's important to me to support the people that are working very hard to make things available to everyone in our community. Well, thank you for, for all your support. And, and, I, and I'm happy to support you guys too. So Hot Summer Nights 2021, 13 concerts over four weeks, musicians flying in from all over the country, multiple venues, both indoors and outdoors, and a farewell to your conductor of over 20 years. How long in advance do you start planning for Hot Summer Nights? We really start planning the minute the the one ends. So we are <laughs> already in August of this year. We're planning for 2022. Um, but, but preparations really start in earnest in usually December, right before the new year. Well, last year, the live season was cancelled because pandemic. And instead, you put together a virtual retrospective of some of the highlights of the past 20 years of Kirk's Hot Summer Nights concerts. So with Kirk stepping down this July and Hot Summer Nights really being his baby, what happens next year? Yeah, so that's a great question. You know, there's a lot of sort of plans in place about whether next year will be the summer of the conductors and we bring in a number of people to audition for the orchestra, whether that we already will have that chosen before we start the season. A lot of those things are still up in the air, but we do know that we already kind of were preparing to reimagine what Hot Summer Nights was going to look like. And I think we're starting that journey a little bit this year, but definitely with Kirk stepping down and, and moving on to other things, we'll definitely be looking at how can this festival become something that creates a place of belonging for everyone. Do you think you'll keep the title? I think the title may change. Okay. <laughs> Steamy summer nights. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's take a look at this season's program. As you and I have discussed on past shows, there continues to be a reckoning in the classical musical world about its lack of diversity of musicians, administrators and programming. So I was very happy to see two events on this year's schedule that recognise black and brown voices and culture. So tell us a little, first of all, about your Lift Every Voice and Sing Juneteenth concert. Yes, absolutely. I'm very excited. So it just so happened this year that Juneteenth, June 19th, falls on a Saturday, which is one of our concert nights. And so when we saw that, we thought, how cool would it be to actually do a concert celebrating Juneteenth? And when we made that decision, Maestro Kirk was like, well, let's let's involve someone from the community that can create an experience for us that has the expertise to do that. So we turned to Brandon Boyd, who's the assistant director of choral studies at Mizzou. He also um, is a music director at a church in Atlanta, Georgia. He travels a lot back and forth and a wonderful pianist in his own right. But he has put together a concert that he was actually going to do in London right before 
the pandemic, but it's where gospel music meets orchestra music. And uh, it's a, been wonderfully arranged by actually a lot of, of black uh, arrangers and orchestrators as well. So not only will we have, you know, a, a black conductor, but we will have an entirely black vocal ensemble. We have a wonderful black soprano, Naguanda Nobles, who will be performing. And we know that the music has been arranged by black composers. So it's a, a really wonderful tribute and celebration. And we're really looking forward to bringing it to uh, the community. What music are you featuring? So we will have a lot of the the spirituals that were born out of the Civil War era. So you'll hear um, We Shall Overcome, Wade in the Water, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands, and of course the title of the concert, Lift Every Voice and Sing, the African-American anthem. And we had a piece that was specially commissioned for uh, the Missouri Symphony called Sign Me Up, which is a medley of other spirituals. That's quite amazing that a concert that was going to happen in London is instead happening right here in our community. That's quite a coup. It is. It's, it's we, you know, that's one of the, the, um, I guess the, blessings in disguise of the pandemic is that some things that may have happened on a larger stage are able to happen more closely at home because of uh, restrictions and, and people not being able to travel yet. So staying on the theme of bringing in diverse voices, the very last concert of the season is Breaking Classical with the Houston, Texas-based theatrical hip-hop group called The Fly Dance Company. Tell me about that event and how you take a dance company from Houston and pair them with a full orchestra with, I'm guessing, not a huge amount of rehearsal time. Yes, I know. So this is a, a really wonderful group of BIPOC men. And um, they their, their artistic director is actually this wonderful woman in her 70s that 25 years ago saw a need to engage a group of men who were either succumbing to um, incarceration and juvenile detention centers or to gangs. And she wanted to create um, her response that was to create something they could be involved in. So she created this hip hop dance group. And they do hip hop. They also do some modern dance. So they do some other art forms, but she really wanted to meet them where they were and, and said, why can't this music, you know, break dancing or hip hop be done to Beethoven or to Carmen? And so, uh, they have a whole set list of songs they do that changes every now and again, but it's just a really wonderful group. And not only do they, they dance and perform, they also share their testimonies of their own lives. And, um, Jorge, the executive director who will be coming, you know, he told a great story about himself and how he had been kind of down and out. And he saw them in a concert when he was 15 and said, I'm going to do that. And his friends all left him. And now 20 years later, he's the executive director. So it has literally um, saved the lives of some of the men who have been involved. And you can go to their website and see how wonderfully this works together. And I mean, they do all the, the spins and flips and dancing on their heads. And it's really fascinating. So they come to you already with the music that you need to play, as opposed to you saying, well, we're going to do this program and, and can you come up with a dance for it? It's kind of the other way around. <laughs> Correct. They come They come with a whole list of songs and there's, they say, hey, we normally do, you know, about 15 of these. So let's so they, they sat down with with Kirk and I and they said, so what would make sense for you all? And in the time that we have and then they came up with the, the 15 that we're going to see in concert um, on, on July 10th. Is this their first time, well, certainly in Columbia, have they performed in Missouri before? They actually will perform in Missouri right before, down in Choplin, actually, right before they come to see us. And I'm not sure before then if they have. So we definitely will be one of the one of the first groups. Well, there's also a nod in the schedule to the past year with a concert titled Heroes of the Frontline. Tell us about the music in that concert and how 
if at all, the musical choices allude to the notion of sacrifice and community. Absolutely. So that concert came about for a few reasons. Um, Last year was actually Beethoven's 250th anniversary of his birthday. So Kirk had wanted to celebrate that, but he specifically wanted to do the Eroica Symphony, Symphony Number no. 3, and Eroica means hero. And so as we thought about it in light of this year, we thought, well, let's celebrate the heroes of the front line in our community, which certainly have been the doctors and nurses who have been combating this pandemic since March of 2020. And so um, our Eroica Symphony is dedicated to them and their bravery, putting their lives at risk, helping to save the lives of other people. Well, Beethoven's Third Symphony has a little bit of a checkered history. It was first yes. dedicated to Napoleon, who reintroduced slavery to France eight years after it been abolished. But I know that Beethoven allegedly was absolutely outraged when he heard about Napoleon's uh, turnabout and apparently tore the music in half and was, and was disgusted by it. But tell us a little bit more about the background to this work. Yes, and that you're absolutely right. So he did, he was, he actually was at one time an admirer of Napoleon. And once Napoleon made the move that he did, he became very disgusted. And so he, he did indeed rip up maybe his original copy. But from then on, the, the, the work was, of course, taken off of being to Napoleon. And instead, he said, well, this is to just a hero. He left it open to, you know, the interpretation of who was going to perform it. This is the, the heroic symphony, and it can be dedicated to whoever is a hero in your life. And so that's why we are reclaiming it for the people um, in our time that, that really need to be celebrated for, you know, all that they did during the pandemic. But it's, it's highly studied. You know, I, as a musician myself, I studied it in music school, as did my, my colleague, Dr. Ashley Pribble. We, we were joking about that. But it is one that is studied for its form because it is, um, it, it is a real wonderful example of the sonata form. And thus they use it in school a lot. Well, then moving on, on July the 3rd, you have a bicentennial concert entitled City That I Love. Tell us a little bit about the musical choices for that concert and any other special components of that evening that recognize Columbia and Missouri's 200th birthday. So normally during this time, we do what we call our patriotic pops. And so this year, we decided to partner with the city of Columbia, since it is Columbia's 200th anniversary or bicentennial. And we are going to have some of our patriotic pops favorites, but they'll be interspersed with monologues from notable figures of Columbia. So if Jane Froman will take the stage and speak about her life and Blind Boone will take the stage and speak about his life and Frederick Niedermeyer will take the stage and speak about his life and all will wish a sort of happy birthday to Columbia where they where they came from. And and so it should be a really wonderful evening celebrating Columbia. And it ha happens to happen during the, the sort of celebration weekend for the Bicentennial, which is July 3rd and 4th. Oh, I love that. I thought that probably you would be being very creative and adding some extra components in that weren't music. But uh, I love the fact that there'll be actors there with the words of famous Colombians from history. Yeah, and all local actors, so local favorites people have seen on stage before. Will Hugo Vianello be one of them? You know what? He is not one of them, but he's always with us in spirit. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's true. So moving away from the concert schedule, tell us a little bit about the orchestra, as I'm always fascinated that when we talk about the Missouri Symphony Orchestra, as they appear in Hot Summer Nights, this is not an orchestra that performs and lives year-round in Columbia. This is made up of people who come together just for this season. How is the orchestra put together? Yeah, so, you know, it's uh, sort of grown throughout the year. So Maestro Vianello usually had an orchestra about 35 to 40. Kirk decided he wanted to do some more ambitious music, which required a bigger orchestra. So he's traditionally had the orchestra around 50 members. This year, because of COVID and restrictions, we are back down to around 35, uh, just because of spacing on the stage. But um, Kirk kind of tentacled out from Missouri. And so we, we do have a number of Missouri players and local players normally, but we also have this core group of musicians who come from New York and Florida and Utah and and um, from all over the country. And um, the Missouri Symphony can be thought of as a family in some ways. Usually the way that you come in is that it's through word of mouth. And so a lot of, of musicians are found through other musicians who have been in the group for 15, 10 years um, and have really come back every summer since then. And um, they create quite Quite a bond with each other. Well, Hot Summer Nights opens this Sunday, June the 13th, with a mostly Mozart concert at the Missouri Theatre. And the season closes on July the 10th with the Fly Dance Company in a show called Breaking Classical at Jesse Auditorium. You can see the full schedule and find tickets at themosey.org. Trent Rash, thank you as always for filling us in. Yeah, thank you. Moving a business is no less stressful than moving home. Plus, when you are a nonprofit, you have the added consideration of raising money to pay for your new home. And of course, business does not stop and it keeps on swirling around you as you're trying to do all of this moving and money raising. So I am especially thankful that my next guest this morning, Jill Womack, Executive Director and currently Project Manager for Trips Kids, <laughs> has made time to chat whilst she is also mid-construction on Trips' new old home at Columbia Mall. Good morning, Jill. Well, good morning. So raising donor money, even in a community as generous as Columbia, is one of those itches that never goes away when you are the executive director. It's so true. It's the same for trips as it is for KOPN. There are so many great causes that we all want to support, and yet we all have limited resources. I support trips, even though I have no children, because I see what an amazing gift theatre is for children's sense of self and confidence Plus, you always put on fabulous shows. But tell me, why do you support KOPN? I love KOPN. I've known about it since college. I used to go, when we would do a play, we would come in and talk about the play we were doing. So it's been a part of my life forever. And I love KOPN because it celebrates the community at a community level. There are the wonderful team at KOPN. You're so connected to our community, to the artists in our community. And you celebrate with us and give us a platform to, to share the lovely work that we're so passionate about. And where else would we get to do that? It, it's a brilliant station and well worth supporting. Well, I am so glad to hear that. And I do love the passion that I encounter every week when I talk to you and all the other arts leaders and artists and art makers. I always feel energized by mm -hmm. the energy that you all share Absolutely. on the radio. And I'm inspired. I'm inspired when I hear the other artists on KOPN because I, you know, it helps me reconnect with that, that energy, that creative mojo of let, oh, more to do, more to share. <laughs> <laughs> well, staying on the subject of fundraising, you started a very creatively designed campaign to raise money for your new home last year called the 21 Club. $21 donated on the 21st of the month so you could move in 2021. How has the campaign gone so far? 
It has been amazing. So, and we've also been fortunate with Boone Electric Trust and the Stafford Family Charitable Trust to raise a lot of money. So we've raised about $180,000 with money that we had already squirreled away waiting for this move. But really, truly, we've come up with about $95,000, you know, on top of the money that we had saved for this move. But COVID has made it really hard because we not only had to raise money to just survive, We've also had to come up with this. I think the final number is around, oof, two, it's around $200,000 for this whole move. Wow. Um, so we're still short a little bit because the price of lumber keeps going up. Dang it. Um, so those numbers keep changing. And then the city permits just came in and have asked for a couple of changes that, you know, we're mid stride now <laughs> trying to open. So that was another hit in costs that we weren't ready for. So uh, yeah, it's been a very interesting year. We're really grateful to the SBA and the Paycheck Protection Programs because it really helped us keep our doors open. We had to take a $90,000 loan from the SBA just to stay open for our day-to-day rent and utilities and insurance costs. So we've been really grateful for that federal support. It is amazing that it costs $200,000 not to buy a building, just to move into an existing building and make changes. Yeah, it's for renovations, for our architect team, for the construction team, for, um, gosh, just signage, you know, just to put signs in the windows. Just We've got $1,200 easily in U-Hauls just moving stuff across town. Right. Yeah. And so, and the other thing that's so amazing to me and frightening is that once we get there, our monthly costs before we even, our annual costs before we even open the doors and do anything is about $105,000 a year for rent, for insurance, for storage, for utilities. So that is an insane amount of money to be staring down as we come out of COVID. So we're just hopeful that everybody really is taking vaccination seriously so that we can get back to normal and get back to full capacity as soon as possible. So that's my prayer for the community is that we can embrace safety for each other and help us all get back to normal because the local businesses, boy, we depend on you being a part of this big effort to get back to normal. So your move to the Columbia Mall takes you back to a new old home. I don't remember where you were in the mall before, but you were in the mall. The same spot. The same spot. We were in the same spot. (laughs) That's what's so amazing. It's so cool. So, And it looks totally different because the arcade and the wonderful Level Up team had totally gutted the space. So it looks nothing like we had when we were there. Although they're leaving the grooviest carpet in the world that actually glows in the dark. And I am tickled (laughs) to death. (laughs) Are you designing the space differently this time around? Yep. I went in the space in December and I looked at, so there are a lot of um, steel support beams in the space. And last time we were there, there was one like in the middle of a room and I had to wrap it with like wrestling foam so the kids would not give themselves a concussion. (laughs) So I was determined when we went in this time that we would design and incorporate those into the walls. And so I went in and did the floor plan and handed it to the architect and said, this will work. 
because it gives us a 50 seat little theater space. It gives us a dance room. We have a rehearsal room. We have a costume studio and office. We've got classrooms, our music studios. So it's a huge amount of space. And mercifully, the mall had storage space for us. So right across the hall, I'm calling our storage space Rosebud because that's what it looks like. It looks like the end of Citizen Kane. It is just... It is stuffed to the brim. (laughs) That is a large amount of space. How many square feet have you got in this new space? So we have 6,000 square feet for the office and classrooms and sewing studio and little theater. And then we have about 2,000 square feet in storage. Wow, that is huge. So this the performance space, is this your main performance space? Do you plan on doing Mm -hmm. all your shows there? We will do all of our educational programs will perform there. But our big main stage plays will be back at Columbia College. So aside from extra funds, what else do you maybe need right now that people could donate or help with somehow? So we are, um, we have a sign up genius campaign for moving. We just had to move 9,000 square feet (laughs) from, from our current space in Hickman Hall all the way across town. So um, we've been really grateful for Hearts and Hands to do that. But uh, we'll have some moving days coming up and some painting days. Um, we couldn't quite afford to have our great construction team from PCE paint for us. So we had to take that $20,000 out of the budget. So we're going to do that ourselves. So if you're a good painter, give me a yell at tripskids at gmail.com because okay. we got a lot of walls to paint. And we'll have some moving days to get everything moved out of Rosebud storage over into the real space because we hope that we are open by August 3rd. We're really shooting for that, but it's all dependent on these materials. And also we're starting a sustainers club and it can be 1010 for good tenants, which is donating $10 a month on the 10th. And we'll continue the 21 club. So we're hoping that we can get enough sustainers to help us with these small donations each month to really fit in our new home and stay in our new home. We've got a 10-year lease at the mall and we're so excited to be back there. That's fabulous. Well, I wanted to, before we close, I wanted just to give you a chance to uh, talk quickly about your summer plans for classes and camps because I know you're back in person finally. We are and, and we're really excited. So our team is all vaxxed up. If parents are worried about that, Our team has all had our vaccinations and we are going to be outside in our first two weeks of camp so the kids don't have to wear masks and we can still social distance. I think they'll be really happy with that. Uh, We're doing a magical school summer. That's our theme. So it's um, our Arden camp is full, but we're doing Superheroes Academy and the Padawan Training School and of course Hogwarts. And it's open for kids rising first through seventh graders. There's a ton of information on the website, Trips Kids dot com. And then it's our first summer collaborating with Columbia Public Schools. We're doing a summer intensive with them. So I can't wait to talk to you about that in the future. I think that's going to be a great program as it grows and grows. Have you got any shows coming up? Um, we're going to do a teen showcase, but we decided that we'd wait until November will be uh, finally after almost two years, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Um, and we're going to do that. We've been waiting for it to be safe to have an audience in Columbia College. And the college, of course, is being very cautious and, and thoughtful about the way they're reopening their theater to uh, outside groups. So I really appreciate their their caution uh, so we'll be back in November. Yay. Perfect. I can't, I can't wait. I love coming to see your shows. I can't wait either. <laughs> I have missed these kids and they're all taller than me now and driving. It's really insane. <laughs> 
Well, you can find out more about Trips classes, camps and their fundraising appeal for their new home at tripskids.com. Jill, your sparkle always puts more sparkle in my day. Thank you so much for chatting. Thank you. When George Brandt's one-woman play, Grounded, opened in London in 2013, the reviewer for the Telegraph newspaper described it as a stratospheric level of theatrical intensity, which is what makes it so perfect as Greenhouse Theatre Project's next production, especially when the one woman is Elizabeth Braun Palmieri, who thrives on theatrical intensity. The Greenhouse Theatre production, which opens on June the 16th, is being directed by another master storyteller, the one who is more usually associated with cinematic stories, True False co-creator David Wilson. Elizabeth Barton Palmieri and David Wilson, welcome to the show. Thank you, Diana. Thank you. I have, as always, a lot of questions about this play and your production of it. But as this is the first time that David has been on the show and it is our Pledge Drive week, I want to take a brief moment to Throw David back a few decades when you, David, as a teenager, had a radio show on KOPN. So tell us what having that opportunity meant to you, David. It was incredibly formative for me. I was 10 years old, I think, when I joined the team at Talking Flies, which was a show that had already been going on. And I think the previous host had aged out of it. And um, we got the three of us, uh, myself and Jill and Heather, we wrote the show every week. We read stories, we read poems, we played music. Um, I remember picking out records from the stacks, uh, having to climb the ladder up to get them. It was incredible. And folks took us seriously and the station took us seriously. And it really gave us an opportunity to be radio hosts and to flex our creative muscles. And I will always be grateful to KOPN for that. Do you think that's why you went into the media world? 100%. All credit to KOPN. (laughs) (laughs) Elizabeth, why do you choose to support community radio? KOPN basically keeps me up to date, keeps me informed on what's going on in the community. And I'm not someone who watches local news, watches TV much at all, really. And so I always have the radio on in my car, in my kitchen. and, And that's usually what comes right up. So I get my news and I find out what's happening locally. And it's a great platform for me as an artist to come on and talk about the work that I'm doing. So thank you so much. Well, marvelous. I'm delighted to have both of you as supporters of KOPM. Okay, back to Grounded. So the thrust of the story is an ace fighter pilot is sidelined by pregnancy and forced to switch her F-16 for a windowless trailer outside Las Vegas and become a military drone operator, swapping the big sky for, as she calls it, the chair force and hunting terrorists half the world away for 12-hour shifts, after which she goes home to her husband and child and has to immediately transform from hunter to nurturer. You are a mother, Elizabeth. Can you describe your visceral reaction to the circumstances your character finds herself in? Yeah, well, I obviously, the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth time I read the play, had an immediate connection to it. I I felt like uh, you know, I'm not a pilot. I'm not a big um, risk taker when it comes to daredevil activity and stuff like that. But I am an actor. And to a lot of people, that is a pretty big risk <laughs> and takes a certain amount of courage and ego and bravery and all that. And so um, I understood her and I understood a part of who she was and what that blue, what that sky 
truly means to her. And then kind of juxtapositioning that with uh, home life, with family, with being a mother, with being a wife, and in that balance, that balance between doing what you love and being an incredibly passionate person in doing what you love, but then at the same time having to come down to reality and uh, doing the day-to-day, you know, making dinner, um, folding laundry, and being present in your home life and not wishing that you were somewhere else, whether it's in the clouds or, you know, on stage or whatever. So yeah, definitely connected on many levels with the pilot. Do you like her? I love her. (laughs) She's a lot of, um, (laughs) she's, she's a lot of who I wish I was. She has, uh, this honesty and she knows what she's talking about. She's absolutely certain all the time up to a certain point when she becomes confused. But I think that, uh, that certainty that, that, uh, being able to follow through a hundred percent, you know, part of that is her training and part of that is just built into her. And I think that that is, yeah, I covet that because there are times that I wish that I could be as direct and, um, forward and honest as her. David, intense theater, is Elizabeth's playground. So talk to me about your role in shaping her performance. I came to this project because I'm a fan of Liz and her work. And, you know, when she asked me if I would help out, it was a kind of a no brainer for me. Um, in this case, I guess with this play, I feel like I'm, I'm a conductor. Everyone is bringing a kind of expertise to the table. Liz with her performance, Chelsea Myers with her video work, Tim Pilcher with his audio work. And, and my role really is just to kind of make sure all the levels are right and everything is working harmoniously with each other. I'm curious, Elizabeth, George Brandt is a male playwright. And at its core, this is a play about the female body, motherhood and the female psyche. You are also a playwright who loves delving into the psyche. Talk to me about how accurate this woman feels to you, if you maybe would have written her a little differently. Mm, that's an interesting question. Yeah, you know, it's it's been kind of perplexing to me uh, through this journey that, first of all, that this was written by a man who chose to write about a female pilot. Um, he dedicates the play to his wife, who she herself is a total awesome chick in her own way. She's a, <laughs> she runs a theater. I was going to use a different word, but I corrected myself. Um, she runs a, a, a theater company. She's also a playwright, director. And I think that she actually was a lot of his inspiration. I, I think, though, you got to up the stakes. And uh, the stakes are definitely raised when instead of going into a theater every day and kind of putting out the fires that go on within the walls of that situation, it's it's a little bit more intense to take it to a battlefield. You know what I mean? Um, we all kind of have our own battlefields, whatever that is, in our own lives, in our own worlds. But I just, uh, I really, I think it's, I think it's fascinating that he went in this direction. Playwrights are so, <laughs> they're so weird, you know, because they, you get obsessed with something. Basically, is what's happening, right? Like any any storyteller, you just become obsessed with whatever the subject matter is that you're you're working on at the time. And I'm sure that George Brandt, I mean, I don't know him personally, but I know that he is not a pilot and did not grow up in that world, in that military world. And so I'm sure him delving into this, uh, I'm sure it just took him over in a way. And, and the character 
formed herself through that. (laughs) David, I think of you primarily as a film director. So I'm curious if in your mind, as you're directing this theatrical production, you are also seeing it play out as a film too. Mm, That's a good question. I think one of the things Liz and I have talked about before, and I think that film lives in close-ups a lot of the time, and theater lives in, in long shots. Theater is often about reaching a broad audience or reaching the back of the hall. And film is really about those like micro moments, uh, you know, in the face. But I, I think something about this performance is that even though it's outside, it's going to feel incredibly intimate. And I think a lot of the ways that Liz's performance is kind of resonating for me right now um, is cinematic, even though it, it's almost literally the opposite, right? It's, it's one person, it's a monologue, it doesn't stop. Um, there's no cut. And yet I think there's really something in the presentation that's going to feel cinematic about it. Well, I wanted to ask you about the staging because you are staging it outside. And yet the drama of this play really takes place in a box, a tight, dark space illuminated by screens. How are you translating that into an outdoor space and maintaining that same intensity, David? Yeah, so we're um, we're working with projection and we're working with a sort of industrial landscape, which is in some ways standing in for the desert, but I feel like is a, is a really good translation of the desert into downtown Columbia. And I think, you know, if you're familiar with Greenhouse Theater Project, if you're familiar with the performances, they tend to be pretty minimalist in terms of the tech and the lighting and all that stuff. And I think this is one of the reasons I'm, I'm involved. And, and one of the things that's exciting about this is a chance to push that and to use that not to overshadow the heart of the piece, which is Liz's performance, but to augment it. When I imagine it, I imagine this very, very tight, dark space. So I'm very curious to see how you translate that into an outdoor arena. You are both old friends. So on the one hand, I'm guessing, David, directing Elizabeth is probably easy because you know her and you likely (laughs) agree on a lot of things. But were there any, (laughs) you see, here you go. Were there any tussles about certain scenes or moments? Yeah, you can decide who answers that one. (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna say, you could ask us that question like in two weeks and see Mm -hmm. where we're at. So, no, you've agreed on everything. Um, 100%. (laughs) No, I think, you know, the beauty of directing, and it's something that because I am a director and and I I love when I get to be on the other end of it. I think people are always shocked when I say that. They're like, oh, but aren't you like super controlling because you're just used to directing all the time? It's like, no, I love to give over and be the actor and be absorbing and soaking it up and learning from the people around me and... I think it's a learning experience for David too. You know what I mean? Directing is no matter how many times I've done it and how much experience I have, I always feel like it's like the first time I'm doing it every time I approach a project because it's a new project. It's a new team of people. It's, it's just a new atmosphere. And so you work with the atmosphere. And I think what I, what I trusted about David was that he's a project-based person and I'm a project-based person. We don't stay within our our boundaries of our mediums. We dance outside of those lines. And I think that, you know, those are the, those are the kinds of artists that I'm drawn to, that I'm um, encouraged by, that I admire, are the people that are just, uh, they're going on the outside. And I think that, yes, we are, Greenhouse is a theater company, but I think if you've seen our work, you know that we are non-traditional, you know, and, and sometimes there's film involved and sometimes there's 
a lot of live music or performance art or whatever it is. It just is based on the project. So this just turned out to be, you know, the kind of project that I knew I needed someone like David to step in, like he said, and manage a lot of the technical aspects of it. And, uh, and that would help me in delivering the performance that I wanted to give. I think there's something also, you know, I've worked primarily in nonfiction and, and there it's really about you build your frame and then what happens inside your frame is up to chance. And I think that's something really useful there in translating that to working with actors where when you trust your actors and your actors are good enough, you can sort of do the same thing, right? I can build a framework and then what happens inside that framework is Liz expressing her, her craft. Right. There is no name for the pilot. She's just called the pilot. I wondered if either of you had imagined a name for her. <laughs> this is an ongoing conversation. Um, well, the, the funny, the very funny thing about that actually is that when I ordered my costume, essentially my pilot suit, it arrived and it had all these patches already attached to it. Some of them are Velcro, so some of them can be removed and some of them are stitched on. And uh, the in the name section, it had um, <laughs> Carol Danvers. And, uh, and it's really funny because I'm not a Marvel person. I don't, I'm not a comic book person. I'm like just totally out of that stratosphere. And so I was like, Carol Danvers. Okay, cool. Like her name's Carol Danvers. (laughs) (laughs) And then everyone's like, Carol Danvers. That's like, uh, from the comic book. And I was like, oh, whatever. (laughs) Are you down with that, David? Um, I, she's a hundred percent not Carol Danvers. That's all I know. Here's the deal. I'm less concerned with her actual name, and I'm actually more intrigued by what her call name is. And a call name, when you are a pilot, it's your it's your nickname. You know, it's your name that they literally call you on your headset. I mean, it's it's your name. So if you watch Top Gun, Tom Cruise's uh, call name is Maverick, and that's on his you know it's on his helmet, and his his co-pilot is Goose. You know, and they they all have these. So I'm I'm I still haven't figured out. And David and I were talking about it last night. You know, but uh, yeah, it's like, what, what is her call name? Who, who is she? So yeah, so I'm more interested in her call name than I am her actual name. <laughs> okay, answers on a postcard, please. <laughs> <laughs> Greenhouse Theatre Project's production of the George Brandt play, Grounded, opens on June the 16th and runs for four nights at 711 North College Avenue, otherwise known as Autotech in the Arcade District. Showtime is 8.30 and you can find out more information about the play and tickets at Greenhouse TV. P.org. Actor Elizabeth Broughton Palmieri and director David Wilson. Thank you so much for the chat. Thank you, Diana. Thank you. And that is it for another week. A reminder once more that we would love to receive your love in donation form for our summer pledge drive. And you can do that securely at kopn.org or by giving us a call on 573 573- All the Speaking of the Arts episodes are available as podcasts, which you can hear at speakingofthearts.transistor.fm, as well as on Spotify. And of course, you could also connect through the KOPN website at kopn.org.
Thank you to my guests today, Ragtech Film Society's Stacey Pottinger, the Missouri Symphony Orchestra's Trent Rash, Jill Womack from Trips Kids Theatre, and Greenhouse Theatre Project's Elizabeth Broughton Palmieri and guest director David Wilson. Thanks, as always, to guitarist Yasmin Williams, whose song, Restless Heart, opens and closes the show. You can find more of her music on Spotify and on her website at yasminwilliamsmusic.com. Finally, thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week with more Peaks Behind the Arts Curtain. Until then, dial that KOPN donation hotline number 573-874-5676 or pledge online at kopn.org. And above all, stay arty, Mid-Missouri! Mid-Missouri!